welcome once again to our series on biblical womanhood. We've journeyed from Genesis to Proverbs, and now in our last session, we moved into the New Testament book of Titus. This passage in Titus chapter 2 is undoubtedly the most important text on the role women are to play in the New, in the New Testament church. And I mentioned that last time, but I did not explain to you why this is such a significant text. Obviously, it's the lengthiest passage we have specifically addressed to the way ladies are to serve in the church. However, that's not the only reason for its weightiness. Another reason these few verses are so important is that they are included in one of the three pastoral epistles. Titus, a beloved disciple of Paul, ministered with the apostle on the island of Crete, one of the largest islands in the Mediterranean. Then Paul left the young but well-trained pastor there to continue the work. He wrote the letter named after its recipient to instruct Paul, um, Titus on how the church was to be led. And Titus was to pass on the counsel to other leaders as they were appointed to the churches in Crete. The primary emphasis of the book is the equipping of the churches for the effective evangelism of their pagan neighbors. This letter stressed the need for believers to live loving, unselfish, and holy lives before the idolatrous citizens of Crete. In other words, they were to be good advertisements for the Christian faith, for the gospel they were proclaiming. That this instruction for the women is included in the holy pages of scripture is enough warrant for me to earnestly take these words to heart. But as I consider that the Lord was clearly putting forth his directive for the way he wanted his church to operate, it motivates me to exercise great caution in carrying out his plan. Well, last time we began to look at the very important role, the special role that the older women are to fill in the Church of Jesus Christ. They've been given a big responsibility as well as a great privilege to teach and train the younger women. Even though this reference is specifically speaking of women who are past childbearing age, we took note that all of us are older than someone that God has placed in our sphere of influence. We each have younger women and girls who are observing the way we live. They're listening to the words we speak, and they're learning something from us. So every one of us should be compelled to be a godly example before others. It's also important to note that some may have walked with the Lord much longer and be much more mature in the faith than some of the older women in the church. All of us should be growing in our understanding of truth as well as our own personal holiness. But we older women are uniquely called to pass on these truths to those who are coming behind us. However, the apostle made it quite clear that not just any older woman was to be teaching the younger ones. The older women, like the older men, are to be sober concerning the things of God. They're to be very careful that they're setting a proper example. And just as the older men are to be sound in faith, consistently adhering to the gospel, so are we as older women. We must be women who diligently study the scriptures. 
We're also to be sound in love. This means we're to sincerely love the Lord as well as people. And lastly, just as the older men are to be sound in patience, so must the older women be patient in their dealing with others. Now, in this session, I'd like for us to examine the specific qualities the older women were instructed to model and to teach the younger women. So if you would, open your Bibles once again to Titus chapter 2, and let's begin in verse 1. Titus 2, chapter 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Well, verse 3 tells us that the older women are to be reverent in behavior. This means showing proper reverence to God in the way we live. In other words, we are to be spiritually healthy. We're to live holy lives in our speech, in our attitudes, and in our conduct. We're to be an example of godliness before we ever open our mouths to teach. Not perfection, but perseverance. So it's imperative that the older women have a genuine, consistent walk with God themselves, which results in a lifestyle that does not contradict what she teaches, but embodies what she teaches for the glory of God. Verse 3 also tells us that the older women are not to be slanderers. This means they are not to be prone to be malicious gossips. The older ladies shouldn't be teaching the younger women if they are consistently critical of others or sowers of discord. The Greek word used here is diabolus, and that word is used 34 times in the New Testament to describe Satan, the arch slanderer, the father of lies and accuser of the brethren. When we slander, gossip, or falsely accuse others, in a very real sense, we're joining league with the enemy of our souls. We're actually helping him with his dirty work. Also, when women who profess Christ as their Savior use their tongues to harm others, they set a very poor example for the younger Christians around them, and they grieve the heart of God. The scripture has a lot to say about our tongues. In 1 Peter 4.15, we're told, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. That's a little bit astounding that busybody or being a meddler in the affairs of others so you can speak ill of them is listed along with murderers and thieves. Most of us tend not to think of gossip as a serious sin, but the Bible makes it clear that God hates it. Proverbs 6.16 tells us there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And verse 19 says, A false witness who breathes out lies, and one sows discord among brothers. And Proverbs 18.21 tells us, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Ladies, 
Your words have the power to destroy or to give life. Your speech can bring grief, distress, and destruction to your family members, friends, neighbors, and brothers and sisters in Christ. Or you can use your words to bring encouragement, healing, and peace to those around you. When you think of spiritual maturity, you may consider how long someone has professed to know Christ. You may assess spiritual growth by involvement in the church or knowledge of the scripture. But the book of James tells us that if anyone is able to control his tongue, he or she is a mature Christian. James 3, 1 through 10 tells us, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Also, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Dear sisters, I wanted us to look at this lengthy passage of scripture because if you're going to be a godly example before and a teacher of young women, you must always be aware of the great hurt and damage you can cause with your words. Those who teach the scriptures to others will be judged with a greater strictness. Just as a rider is able to control the entire body of a large horse with a tiny piece of metal in his mouth, and massive ships can be directed and regulated by a very small part of the ship, so the right management of our tongues to a great degree governs our whole person. Matthew Henry had so many wise and helpful things to say in regard to these verses. One thing he wrote was, We are taught to dread an unruly tongue is one of the greatest and most pernicious evils. James compared our tongues to a tiny, seemingly insignificant fire that's dropped in a huge forest. It soon bursts into flames and consumes everything in its path. In preparation for this lesson, I was reading about some of the common causes of forest fires. And while we're all aware that a small match or a smoldering cigarette has caused the destruction of thousands of acres of woodland, I was shocked to read about some of the other things that have started massive fires. One began with a spark from a flat tire. Another when someone hammered a fence post around very dry vegetation. And still another when a lawnmower struck a rock. 
I would never imagine that a tiny spark from a tire, a hammer, or a lawnmower could cause such devastation. And yet, in the same way, we often don't realize the power that our tongue holds in simple words that we can speak, the power for great good or great evil. Even though we have been redeemed, there's so much sin left in these tongues that hide behind our teeth and lips. The Bible calls them worlds of iniquity. And so Matthew Henry said, As therefore you would dread fires and flames, you should dread contentions, revilings, slanders, lies, and everything that would kindle the fire of wrath in your own spirit or in the spirit of others. He went on to say that our tongues need to be guarded, watched, and governed as much as an unruly beast or a hurtful or poisonous creature. Now, I'm emphasizing this point for three reasons. First, the Bible gives us many strong warnings about the use of our tongues. Secondly, because through 45 years of ministry, I have seen the great harm and irreparable damage that can be done by unbridled tongues. And lastly, I can personally relate to what the Apostle James wrote. The greatest sin struggle I have is with my tongue. And after walking with the Lord for more than four and a half decades, I still find myself frequently having to ask forgiveness for careless or hurtful words that have passed through my lips. Mr. Henry gave this excellent advice that we would all be wise to heed. Let us learn to be severe in judging others. I'm, I'm sorry, severe in judging ourselves, but charitable in our judgment of others. Do you remember how the scripture describes the speech of the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31? She opens her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. Before we speak, we need to remember to ask ourselves, is this wise and is it kind? None of us can subdue our tongues without God's help and his grace. But it's vital that with his grace, we are very intentional by the power of the Holy Spirit to guard our words. And as we do that, it's amazing how the rest of the members of our body will be much more easily governed. Another thing for us to remember is that for us to approach those made in the image of God, and especially those renewed after that image by the grace of God, is shameful and inexcusable. It's a great contradiction in our lives when we praise God with our lips, but we curse our brothers and sisters with that same tongue. Thirdly, the older women are not to be slaves to much wine. The idea is that they are to be self-controlled. The word temperate is used in verse 2 in regard to the men. One of the fruit of the Spirit is temperance or self-control. I think nearly all of us would agree that the Bible is very clear that drunkenness is sin. And there's no doubt that a person who cannot control their consumption of alcohol does not set a proper example for Christians to follow. But I think this would include any addicting substance, any substance that can impair your judgment. 
The truth is, we should not be enslaved to wine, tobacco, drugs, food, or anything other than Christ. And the last requirement for the older women is that they are to be teachers of good things. This means that we should be training the younger women in what is good, wholesome, biblically sound things. Verse 1 says that we're to teach the things that accord with sound doctrine. We need to be very careful that the things we teach with our lips as well as our lives line up with the scripture. And in order to do that, we must be women of the book. What the older women are to teach goes beyond the seven specific things listed here. You may have ladies come to you asking, how can I deal with anxiety and depression? How can I cultivate spiritual passion in my life? How can I respond properly to an unsaved husband or a wayward child? And you need to be able to use the scripture to give these women biblically sound answers. We should be teaching the young women in our churches how to live their lives in a way that brings glory to God and then also model that before them. So here we have clear instruction as to the type of character the godly older women are to display. As Christians, every one of us, regardless of age or spiritual maturity, should be growing in reverence, control of our tongues, self-control in every area, biblical knowledge, and the wisdom to help others apply that knowledge to the various tests, temptations, trials, and circumstances that we face. As we close our time together, I'd like once again to leave you with a few questions to consider. First, am I growing in my walk with God through regular times in His Word, in prayer, and with other believers? Secondly, am I walking in obedience to the Scriptures? Number three, am I reverent in my behavior, showing proper honor to the Lord? Number four, am I guilty of gossip, slander, or sowing discord with my tongue? Number five, am I careful not to speak anything about anyone unless it is true, kind, and or necessary? Number six, do I consistently speak words that encourage and build others up or words that hurt and destroy? Number seven, and I, am I in bondage to alcohol, tobacco, drugs, even over-the-counter drugs? food, sex, shopping, sleep, or anything other than the Lord Jesus. Number eight, am I teaching good things to those around me, not only with my words, but also in my actions? And number nine, am I growing in my understanding of the scriptures and how to apply them to my personal life by regularly reading, studying, meditating on, and memorizing the Bible? One of the reasons I have such a passion for this ministry of mentoring younger women is because I think back to how beneficial it would have been to me as a young woman, to my spiritual growth, to my marriage and my child training, if I had had the blessing of godly older women to help me along the way. I didn't have the advantage of growing up in a Christian home. I was 17 years old when God saved me and at the ripe old age of 19, I married and was thrust into Christian ministry knowing very little myself. I made so many mistakes that could have been avoided 
if a godly older woman had taken me under her wing. The first time I was ever asked to mentor someone, I was probably in my late 40s, and I looked at that young lady and said, I have no idea how to mentor anyone because I was never mentored myself. But now I am blessed to have the pleasure of mentoring younger women to teach, train, and warn them so they don't make the same blunders that I did. Not only have I found this ministry to be life-changing for the younger women who are mentored, but it is equally enriching for the older women who have chosen to invest themselves in others. I cannot express to you adequately how fulfilling it is to see a woman you have prayed for and poured your life into begin to disciple others and teach those very same things you have taught her. The Apostle John wrote in 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And while that is certainly true of our bi biological children, it is equally true of our spiritual children. May the Lord be pleased to grow us in each one of these areas of personal holiness and use us to help those younger than ourselves to grow in their walk with God for their good, for the health of the church, and for the glory of God. May God bless you.